Here's what's going to happen. I am going to have to fix you, manage you to on a more personal scale, a, a more micro form of management. Jim, what is that called? Micro Jimmy. Boom. Yes. Now, Jim is going to be the client. Dwight, you are going to have to sell to him without being aggressive, hostile, or difficult. Let's go. All right, fine. Bring, <clears throat> bing. Hello? Hello, this is Dwight Schrute from the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. Oh, that's great, because I need paper. Excellent, then you are in luck, because we are having a limited time offer only on everything. Wow, this is my lucky day. Ask him his name. What is your name, sir? I am Bill Butlicker. Really, that's your real name? How dare you? My family built this country, by the way. Be respectful, Dwight, please. Uh, yes, Michael. Could you hold on one second? That's my other one. What? No, but I... Hello? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just on the phone with this stupid salesman. He's so dumb. Probably just going to keep him on the line forever and not buy anything. <laughs> okay. It's up to you, James. Sorry. That was a family emergency. Oh, no. What's wrong? You know what? That's private. Boundaries, Dwight. Come I'm, on. I'm sorry, Mr. Butler. As I was saying, sorry, we're having a limited... Speak up a little bit louder. I'm hard of hearing. Sorry, he's an old man. Okay. As I was saying, right now, yeah, we are having... talk louder. Okay. Our prices have never been lower. Son, you have to talk louder. Never been lower. Louder, but, son! Butlicker! Our prices have never been lower! Stop it. Stop it. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. There we are. We got the crew. We got all of them. We got Bob. I'm here, Dave. Oh, thank God. And we got Dave. Uh, Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm right here. The old thriving crew. God, it feels good to be back in the studio, Bob. It does, Dave. It's been a while. It's been a long time. I also say that the littlest member is here who was here last time as well. Teddy is in the sound studio. I don't actually know where. I just hear him. He's probably behind my washing machine right now, but he'll make an appearance on the episode at some point. I'll just say that. Yeah. Well, Bob, I think we got to address the elephant in the room. We have not recorded in so long. I know. So, okay. So I was listening to the previous episode. We, we just published it today. Episode 55. Yeah, exactly. And I was asking you questions about like my summer had just started. And now I'm thinking like summer's over. Uh, <laughs> so that's how long God. it's been. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. We're, I mean, just today I got like a seven emails about like um reminders for the start of school and like i'm getting scheduled out already you know and it feels like i mean your summer feels over bob i got three weeks until kids are in my face oh yeah mine actually doesn't feel over but my partner kiki's does and yours i would imagine does too yeah uh well yeah part of it's kind of a double prong thing that's been happening. The The big part has been, we've been putting our podcast energy towards beyond X's and O's. Yep. Um, and yeah, just sort of trying to get that, that one up off the ground. The, the passion, would you call that the passion project? 
<laughs> yeah, I think that's a good way to talk about it. I do like that. Yeah. yeah. What would you call this show? Um, more the socio-political pa- project. Ah, so you put in the hard work here so you can talk about um, first baseman at the, on the other show. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I mean, moreover, we just haven't had any time. You've been going down to Southern California. I've been, I was like up in the mountains one weekend, right? Uh, did the, the camping hot spring trip up at Valley view, which y'all got to check out. Um, it feels like going back in time about 45 years, 45 years. <laughs> nice. I thought you were going to say like a hundred years to like, because Colorado mountain towns are all about. That's 19th true. century gold rush. But yeah. uh, so when you said 45, I'm like, oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it feels like the sixties up there. 19s, okay. like, it, like late 60s, early 70s. Like it's so hippied out, you know? I mean, it's like all nude. So it's like people just walking around um, with their bits out. And uh, <laughs> yeah, just like everyone has like that energy. I, did, I don't know if I told you this, but... We ended up watching a pr- pr- proposal up there. Oh, just it just like happened spontaneously around you? Yeah, it was pretty sweet. In the, that morning, some guy, uh, this older couple said, 20 years ago, I proposed to her in this hot spring and we come back every year for our anniversary, which is really sweet. And later that day, we saw a guy like uh, get his guitar out and propose to his um, girlfriend. And I was like, dang, this is like a lot of energy going on here up in the, wow. up in the late, late sixties, early seventies. <laughs> it's so interesting. Um, yeah. That like, there's a nexus of that's where people propose. Yeah. There are places on earth where proposals are highly likely, you know, if you go right. to those places. That's true. Yeah. I would say there's probably like a restaurant in, um, Southern LA, you know, or sorry, South Southern California, LA, where like, if you get asked there, you're probably going to get a proposal. I feel like, uh, Julie proposed to me on top of a mountain, just a, a close mountain. Um, one that we had hiked and ran up like 50 times. It was a pretty, uh, felt like home, but also like total game changer. What about you? Where did you and Kiki propose to each other? Um, at a resort, um, like on the one called Costa Noa, it's like near Pescadero in between Pescadero and Half Moon Bay. Really, really pretty area. Huh. Pretty. Okay. So like, oh, that makes sense. Pretty close to San Fran, huh? No, um, still pretty far South of San Fran, but definitely on, on your way up from, from the cruise. Okay. Is that near Gray? Was it near Gray Rock? Uh, yeah, it is. Um, Greyhound Rock. Yes, it's 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 not very near, but it, it's kind of close to Greyhound Rock for for listeners for for longtime Santa Cruisers, for the educated, for the uneducated. It's just basically the Bay, the Bay Area, the Bay Area, which is about one third of California at this point. <laughs> <laughs> you got yeah, you got, you really do. You got. Um, state of Jefferson, then you got the Bay and then you got like LA metropolitan area, you know? Dang. And what, that's and then the Central state. Valley, right? 
it's funny, like, you know, Sacramento's in the Central Valley, but some people are like, yeah, from Sacramento say like, yeah, I'm from the Bay Area. Right. Or like people at Davis say that. I, I've heard right. Davis people say that. Yeah. Yeah. What about Stockton people? They're, they're not saying that, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not. I don't know. You're right. There is the Central Valley for sure. But yeah. this is, this is a, a wild tangent from what <laughs> the main point was we're going to try to tell listeners that we just got way off. And, uh, but now we're back and we're going to really try to maintain the two week period. Um, so, and listeners soon we'll be able to hear the, the, the passion project, the sports podcast, uh, where we've made good progress on that too. Yeah. So, um, yep. We got all the, all the greatest hits. We got Joe shine on album artwork. We got the great Nadir Chayet who, um, Big number 52, as you mentioned in the podcast. <laughs> um, you know why I went with those numbers? Joe Shine got 13 and Nadir got 52. Hey, that's um, cool. Has Nadir edited 52 episodes? No, but I mean, he will. He's not far off. Yeah. Um, I went with 52 because it feels like really like mirror images of each other, like a five and a two mirror each other really nicely. And I feel like, um, like on this show, Nadir is dexterous and, Oh um, yeah. Right. What's the other word I use? Oh, I, I mean, I listen to it so often. What is it? And dexterous consummate, <laughs> consummate and dexterous. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, that's pretty good. I always Google the word consummate cause I always forget its definition and it always comes up with consummate. <laughs> which oh, right. Very- exactly. <laughs> You know, when I heard 52, I thought it was a reference to good old number 52 for the Cleveland Spiders, big CC Sabathia. Yeah, there you go. Speaking of which, um, he is definitely the mirror image of Mark Price, number 25 for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I love that you're calling them the Spiders, Bob, because the big news is, remember when we came out with our breaking episode? Yeah, we did. Urgent. Alert. urgent people listen get your news source from thriving um yeah because we got a name we're the cleveland guardians bob yep as of two days ago i think yeah cleveland guardians they changed the name finally i'm, I'm excited because it was going on so long there was rumors that it was going to go on to next year so even next year they were still going to be the old mascot even though it's not spiders which is what i wanted I'm excited that they made the change and it, it's going to be starting next season. How do you feel, Dave? Um, yeah, I feel like of the three spiders, guardians and municipals, the guardians was my least favorite. Cause it just evokes yeah. guardians of the galaxy, which I kind of love by the way, Taika Waititi. If you want to watch, um, is Taika, is that a Taika? No, sorry. No, it's not a Taika Waititi, but I feel like it's a, uh, oh, what's his name? The director of guardians. He's sorry. I was thinking Thor Ragnarok. Um, yeah, that's Gu- right. Guardians is the other guy who does. He's like all about the soundtrack and how it mixes. He's he also came out with the new Suicide Squad. It's the same guy. Anyway, oh yeah, yeah. Doesn't matter. Um, and like his big thing is like having the music for the soundtrack be like something cues it in the the movie. So like, what's his name? Uh, Star Lords headphones always cues it anyway 
Another yeah. divergent. Um, I am stoked on the Cleveland Guardians. I, yeah, I've just, every time I think about it, I feel super happy. I, I know on this show, I declared that I was not going to be a fan of Cleveland baseball if they didn't change their name. And they had, I gave them an ultimatum. And at the end of last season, they, they saved me and they're making good on their promise, which feels good. And it's like time for Chicago hockey and uh, Florida state football or Florida state sports. Um, who else? We're looking at Atlanta baseball. We we just need to get some of these mascots. Like the ball is rolling. I feel like Washington football team who looks like they're going to keep that name, the Washington football team. Yeah. Which is uh, not bad. It's like, uh, well, I mean, it, it is what it is, but it's way better. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, you made a prediction, right? That it was going to take Tom Hanks to change the team. No, I don't think I said that. That'd oh, be amazing. Okay. I, what was your- I, on this show, I made a prediction that they'd probably go with Guardians. And at that stage, it seemed a little far-fetched. So it's oh, like, okay. Uh, I must have been go. feeling something. I think I was feeling like Guardians is a little bit more safe. It's like the safer pick. Spiders is out there, you know? Yeah. Spiders, I feel like, is definitely out there. Because there are no other spiders and spider. A lot of people are afraid of spiders. So that's um, true. Yeah. I think guardians was the safer pick, which, which is fine by me Re- reference to the tra- the guardians of traffic in Cleveland. And so, so yeah, before we get into the, the meat of the show, one more thing, the other elephant in the room is you're in a totally different room. Um, I'm used to seeing you at the Smith street house. So. It's just wild to see you in this new place. You look good. The place looks good. How does it feel, Dave? Yeah, it's it's been incredible. Um, two nights ago, well, starting like really in around my birthday, Julie and I found this place that we like knew we wanted to live in this co-housing community. That's always been a dream of ours to live in co-housing. Um, and if you are uninitiated then I suggest you get educated and look it up because there's probably a co-housing in. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, if you're for the uninitiated, for the uninitiated, look up the co-housing. <laughs> yeah. You go to bing.com and you type in Google and then you type in. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Uh, no. What was I going to say? Oh, sorry. Yeah. We found this place co-housing and it's a place in Fort Collins called River Rock. It's one of two. We were really strongly looking at a place called Gray Rock, which is a little more farmy. And this one's a little more suburban, like condo-esque. And it's awesome. We live with 32 other units, or sorry, 32 units in total. And we've met a lot of neighbors and it's just great. I had a plumbing problem earlier today and this, you know, this guy came upstairs and walked me through some of the things that he was thinking and... um. Yeah. It's been a lot though. Moving is like one of the biggest stressors in life. I'd say probably in order it goes flying, then moving, then spiders and then guardians. Just kidding. Um, yeah, it's just a huge stress to, to move even if it's a short move. Um, but yeah, I've loved it and it just feels like, you know, two days ago we moved in officially and we slept here for two nights and it's a wild experience to, to have a place that we just like feel a lot of love for already. And 
I like the fact that like any problem that pops up is a problem that like, you know, I'm going to tackle or we're going to work together on it, but it's like a problem that we get to fix rather than trying to like, I don't know, just live with it. I feel like in rental situations, you kind of just live with it. And now I feel like we get to, to make some changes and live a life that we want to live. Yeah. So, and it also, you know, allows us to set up to try and have a kid someday down the road. So even though Teddy is the real elephant in the room someday, there'll be another little thriving crew, the next generation of thriving crews, you know, (laughs) let's get him in the studio. (laughs) All like background meowing and crying. And that's where I want to see this podcast go. Yeah. More (laughs) symphonic routes. Oh, sure. Than virtuosi. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I, I think I gotta mention the last thing is Bob, you've got a new car. The first time, I mean, you've been driving the Accord for about 15 years. Yep. And it feels like a big deal to be stepping up and making some moves, you know? Absolutely. It's it it's been not nearly as much as like energy that you put into your new house, but it has like been a lot of work to try to get this car this summer. And yeah, I talked about the old car on the podcast at some point saying that it's just on its last legs for sure. Um, and we're currently in an incredible house, uh, sorry, car shortage in the world due to the pandemic, both new cars and used cars. I'm sure people have heard of this, like the timber situation and, um, overall, inflation of prices. So it was not easy to track down the right car, but we decided to get, go for the new, new car because used cars are actually just so out of control expensive. So it just makes sense to go new. Um, so we got a new 2021 RAV4 hybrid. Um, and yeah, just to make such a big purchase is, is, like a mind bender for sure. And just I have nightmares, you know, like, Oh God, what have we done? But then driving it, it's like, Oh, this is good. This is going to last for the next 20, 25 years. Um, even if the world doesn't last for that long, (laughs) (laughs) we'll be living Um, on that car, Bob. Yep. Absolutely. Orbiting the sun on the RAV4. Um, yeah, I hear that. I'm curious if there's any, does it have anything like, does it do, does it park itself or does it like when you drive off the, out of your lane, does it like tell you, does it like, yeah, it does. It does some of those, um, automated, like autonomous things. If you drive outside of your lane, um, it nudges you back into it and, uh, like a noise goes off. Um, it, I don't think it can park itself. It, it's cruise control can like, if you, if a slowdown is coming, it will like reduce the cruise control and you don't have to like stop the cruise. So I think that's like similar to automated cars using their lasers, you know, hundreds of yards in front of them to watch the traffic. Um, so there are the, some of those components in there and it does feel like a alien spaceship. Um, like at the core of it, it's just a car, but there's so many other things going on with it, you know? Cool. So. There's Teddy. 
There's the guy. He's at it. He's at well, it. Well, I'll give a little intro what we're going to be chatting about. We got got a lot of the real business out of the way. But um, yeah, today we were going to talk a little bit about... I had this idea of wanting to get down in the podcast about uh, sort of the tips and tricks of like capitalism in some ways. Um, and I, I feel like we, when we live, we live in this world that's so, you know, the theme of the season is another world is possible, but like we are so entrenched in capitalism. And one of the things that I am is a gamer and I'm always like scheming the system. And I feel like I wanted to talk about one of the ways that I've learned to scheme the system and, that is what I call the credit card scam. And yeah, I'll give, I'll give the breakdown of that after, but Bob, you have a, a nice little introduction about how this all relates to another world and capitalism and how it can tie together to all that. Yeah. Uh, would, quick question. Would you say like, you know, how some people talk about like hacks, you know, like oh, life yeah. hack, yeah. would you say your schemes are like hacks? Oh, that's a great, well, yeah, it's been a while since I've even thought about that, but yeah, this is a total life hack and, um, you can definitely do more research, but I like, I feel like I kind of like started the game way back in the day, um, before it became like a thing before like nerd wallet even existed. And there's a, like a lot of podcasts that are like sort of dedicated to this, but I feel like it's a pretty simple system and I think by the end of this episode, I wonder if anyone's going to go through and take the plunge and do this credit card hack. Love it, Dave. Yeah, yeah. I can, I, well, I love how you started off with like, we live in capitalism and we're always having to contend with capitalism at every turn. And we know, I mean, we start from the assumption on this show that capitalism is killing the earth. It's killing us. It's killing everything. Um, the relentless irrational pursuit of profit, um, which is core to capitalism. Um, and you know, profit at, at any means or like, you know, profit no matter what. So that means exploiting the humans and exploiting animals and the earth. I mean, a great current sort of image of that is the billionaires. If I can bring in daddy bays again, um, you know, building these rocket ships uh, and then, you know, so many people um, dying of poverty and not finding housing and people getting exploited at Amazon and Tesla. And, um, but yet it helps their bottom line to be like going into space and like, um, yeah, just that is capitalism. And so the question becomes like living in capitalism, how do you change it? How do you like live in a better system? And so this has been asked for a long time under the question of like, do you reform the system? Do you like change it through reforms or do you need a full on revolution? And uh, Rosa Luxemburg, who is a um, pretty amazing 19th to 20th century German socialist who was killed for her activism eventually um, wrote a book called reform versus revolution. And she basically makes the argument that you cannot reform capitalism. 
um, you, we must have revolution because at the core of capitalism is exploitation of the workers in order that the capitalists can maintain profits and, and develop capital. So then I agree with that. I think that makes a lot of sense from my observations of the world. Um, then the problem becomes, well, revolution is hard. Like, how do we make revolution? And revolution is dangerous. Like, I just watched the movie um, Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, and, you know, Fred Hampton, you know, he's like, I am a revolutionary. And yeah, you know, revolutionaries are killed. Um, and it, that's... I'm not saying let's not become revolutionaries because Fred Hampton is definitely one of my favorite people in history. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, the, the good, the great contrast is his wife is, or his, you know, partner is pregnant with his son. And like, she's like, I can't do what you do. I have a, I have a like kid growing inside me. Um, and so you know, for the majority of people in the world, how do they engage in revolution? Um, so more modern thinking has like said like, yeah, revolution is necessary, but we have to live in capitalism and survive. So there are reforms of the system that push towards um, strengthening capitalism, but there are reforms of the system that push us towards revolution, that get us, that change the conditions of the society more towards revolutionary conditions. Um, and so those are called either um, non-reformist reforms, or I like to call them revolutionary reforms. And um, so this is just, it's very relevant everywhere that there's struggles against capitalism going on. Um, and so they, let me read this quote um, that's really good as like thinking about like, okay, when we engage in a reform, how do we know if it's reformist versus revolutionary? And this is from an article called Ending the School to Prison Pipeline, Building Abolition Futures by Erica Miners. And she quotes this great um, anti-prison activist and scholar, Carlene Faith, who uh, taught at UC Santa Cruz. And Carlene Faith says, Every reform raises the question of whether, in Gramsci's terms, it is a revolutionary reform, that is, one that has the liberatory potential to challenge the status quo, or a reform reform, which may ease the problem temporarily or superficially, but reinforces the status quo by validating the system through the process of improving it. Um, so. Yeah, that's the sort of litmus test or a good, good litmus test. And I've read, read others like Angela Davis talks about this. And, and this is basically a really nice summary of this, you know, thinking through reforms. Um, so I had this example from Democracy oh, Now. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. I was going to look for some real world examples too. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so the, Democracy Now! had a story today says, immigrant communities rally in New York City to demand pathway to citizenship. And so it, it, over a thousand immigrants, activists, and supporters took to the streets Friday to demand Congress and President Biden to um, basically, in the infrastructure pack, pack, package that's being talked about, to have a pathway to citizenship for all DACA recipients. So this is a reform. Um, you know, DACA itself is a reform. 
it, the revolution would be like not having um, a citizenship system and not having borders basically that set up hierarchies. Um, but until we get there, we need reforms to protect the people who are already here. And DACA is a great example of that. And so I would say DACA is a revolutionary reform um, because it keeps people here and it pushes the system. Like we need people here to do the work towards revolution. And it, I mean, it is just humane, right? So um, I guess some, this could be a good argument. Like maybe some people would argue that DACA is a reformist reform, but for me, it is towards revolutionary reform. So that's my example. And that was a lot, Dave. So I'll stop talking. Yeah, I guess I was thinking of examples too, because I feel like it's nice to have that concrete. And one of the, I'm, I'll bounce this, the student, I'll be the student, you be the teacher. I'll bounce an example off you and you tell me if you think I'm on the right track. I kind of feel like, it's a lot about perspective, right? So if you look at like the Toyota Prius when it first came out in, I want to say 2004, um, it, to me, it felt like a uh, revolutionary reform because the revolutionary act in that situation was to not own a car, was to use mass transit, was to live a life where you're free of petroleum, right? Um, and I feel like the, what's happened is like it's, and it, it might also be some of green capitalism in some ways, but like the Prius paved the way for the electric car movement that's happened since. Right. And so I don't think that there is a company like Tesla without the Toyota Prius and the revolution that happened in the two thousands. Right. Um, and I'm not saying that Tesla is good. I'm not trying to get on the Elon Musk bandwagon. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I am thinking that like, through and you know all these reforms can get bought up in a lot of ways but i feel like we're moving these revolutionary reforms can really change the world in a lot of ways um because yeah i feel like the what's happening right now with the car market is trying to free itself from petroleum um and yeah we're still a long way of getting out of fossil fuel territory but i think that there is progress and there is something to be said about that. Does that feel true or do you think I missed it a little bit? It's, um, I think you are bringing up a great example and I think it merits discussion. And I would say for me, hybrid cars are more reformist reforms because they I think they strengthen the auto industry and they give the illusion, like you're saying of green capitalism. Um, and, but I don't think, but I think you are right that having more electric cars is going to buy the world a little bit more time. Um, so I do think that's important, but I don't think, electric cars are a revolutionary reform um, for me. So, yeah. But what about, what about back in the day? It's kind of in the middle. Yeah. Do you think that 15 years ago it was like from that perspective or no? That's a good question. Remember like uh, Dan Winters, who's a very respected 
activist of ours, you know, a family friend. He was, he was so into getting a Prius. Do you remember that? Of course. And influenced yeah. our family in getting a Prius. Yeah. So maybe. Uh, but then I also remember South Park came out with this episode making fun of Priuses, like only middle class people in San Francisco who like the smells of their own farts by oh, yeah. Priuses. Um, That's true. You know, I think there's something about cars because they're so expensive that they're just not, it's hard to argue for them. And the whole, the whole idea of cars, um, you know, beyond petroleum, cars are pretty fucking awful in terms of how they've destroyed the natural landscape, right? That's true. And right? been, a, been a promoter of basically colonizing the U.S. West, you know? Um, yeah. So it's a complicated one, the one that you brought up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't mean it to be quite so complicated, but I think that that's kind of what it comes down to in a lot of ways. And it's uh, it's kind of a nice one to lead us into the... It is. Some of the some of the stuff that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. I think, I think you should go into your example. Yeah. So for me, I wanted to give like this, this also stems from like, you know, right around 2007 when we were really trying to like understand, like how do we live in a capitalist world while trying to, to change capitalism. And we felt so trapped. Like there's such a trapped feeling that comes with that. Right. Like you, everything, you just realize that everything you do in some way is like propping up capitalism and, and, but like totally taking yourself out doesn't feel like the right solution either, because then you're not really affecting change. You're just another person that's not in the system trying to affect change. You're totally out of it. Um, and there's, of course, there's merits for any of those examples. Right. Um, like sometimes that's what, what's needed for a person. But one of the things we came across during this time was uh, this little tiny book called a better world shopper, which um, in some ways like was just like trying to use the idea of the fact that we all spend money that we're all in this capitalist game. And how can we use the money that we spend to affect um, a better world to make a better, so, you know, a better world shopper guide. And it, you know, it, and this is back in 2007, but one of the examples I remember was buying your toothbrush from a company named Preserve rather than buying it from Colgate, you know? So Colgate got like an F and I think it's called Preserve. Is that right, Bob? That sounds familiar. Yeah. 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 Uh, I know Tom's um, of Maine was another one in that like, yeah. A category. Oh, but that's a great example. Thompson Maine w- was an A company, but you know they've since been bought up by one of the big tooth toothpaste brands, and I'm pretty sure they got bought up by Colgate. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've like kept their autonomy, but all their money, like so, like they're still doing things in a much more earth friendly way. Like the people that are in the Thompson Maine company are like you know. It's better to buy Tom's Main toothpaste because, like, yeah, they're probably like carbon offsetting. They're probably using less plastic in their toothbrushes. They probably make bamboo toothbrushes. They um, are using no pesticides in their products, right? Um, but all their money goes towards Colgate. And that's like the big issue. Like these subsidiaries, like every company ends up, you know, Ben and Jerry's got bought out by dryers, right? So even though, like, and, 
even though Ben and Jerry's makes a great ice cream and, um, you know, like they try and do really good stuff for the world and they, you know, they'll like em- employ people. Uh, like I know that the, the people that make the brownies in uh, like chocolate brownie chunk, um, they're like ex-cons. And so it's like an ex-con baking factory, but nonetheless, all the money ends up going to dryers anyway. So it's like, how do we, how do we affect change? And I, I know that like we really struggled with the idea of the, the banking systems. And I remember vividly um, when we were reading this, this better world shopping guide, they said like, if there's if you only do one thing, it's change where you bank. Because like, and we, we saw this effect really strongly in the, the, uh, economic, what's it called? The economic bubble bursting of 2009. Is that right? Uh, it's called the recession. The re- <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks Bob. Yeah. And the housing market bubble burst. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. That was, yeah. That pre- Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. And, no, no, you're good. <laughs> Uh, it's called an economic recession. Um, anyway, yeah. And we saw this happen with what was happening with these like sub subprime mortgage lending and all this like shady stuff. And then the banks were like selling all these mortgages and all of a sudden you end up with this like horrible situation where we're having to bail out all these big banks. And it's like, just like, what can we do? And one of the big things that came up was let's put our money from these big banks like Chase or Wells Fargo and let's get them into local credit unions. That was like the best spot, right? So like, you know, one that was one of the things that Julie and I were looking at when we got our house was we wanted to take our mortgage out from um, a local company. So we did a, a credit union because, you know, we're going to end up making that credit union like 150 thousand uh, dollars over 30 years. So it's better to, to do it with a local company. Um, and you know, rather than a big, big bank. So I think I got to get into this. And one of the, the things that came up from, for us was like, how can we take advantage of these bigger banking systems? And it, this was, this was the credit card hack. And this is, I'm just going to give you guys the three tips that you need to do every time. And I'm going to give you some of the worries and I'm going to give you all some of the, like where to look for it. Right. So the basic idea is that we're a credit card will give you this huge incentive to open up a credit line. And sometimes these incentives can be worth like a thousand dollars. And so it like, if you can take advantage of these incentives, it's, I see this as um, taking it to the credit card or to the big banks and taking a thousand dollars out of their pockets and putting it in your pocket. Right. And so these incentives can range and vary depending on the credit card, but you know, we have opened up a lot of different credit cards over the years and we've used these benefits to fuel our traveling and um, hotels and big purchases. And it's, it's been a pretty incredible thing. Julian, my honeymoon was 
one of the big goals for our honeymoon was to have it be completely paid by the credit cards, right? So our flights to Japan were all from credit card um, incentive bonuses. And then we stayed in hotels and that was all incentive bonuses. And we had $500 to spend um, over the course of like 10 days. And so it was like a completely free trip paid for by Chase and uh, United, which was pretty cool. Um, yeah, but I just want to give you the three tips that you got to do. Otherwise you're going to end up giving the banks money back and you got to think of it like a game and have your gamer mindset on. But the number one thing you do is every month that you get your credit card bill, you got to pay it off every month. You can't ever accumulate debt because then you're going to be paying interest on the debt that you've taken out. So whatever you spend on your credit card, you've got to be sure that you can pay it off. Number two, the number two thing that you got to do is you got to close your account within the year. So usually after a year of having your account open, you're going to end up having to pay a big annual fee. But usually they'll give you the first year free or you'll pay like uh, 50 or or $100. But um, if you keep that credit card open, you're not going to end up making money. And the last thing, which is the most important thing, is don't buy shit that you don't need. If you are buying stuff because you're like, oh, I got to make my incentive bonus. I have to make my, you know, don't ever purchase something that you don't need. Just stay within your own habits. And um, yeah, there are, because if you're doing that, then you'll, you'll be safe and you'll, you'll have a way out. So if you pay it off every month, you make sure that you close it after a year and you don't buy stuff that you don't need, you're going to be fine. And you're going to end up making a ton of bonuses and you'll be able to bank them a lot. And I have done research over, like people have asked me, does that ruin your credit line? Like if I wanted to like, um, you know, buy a house or adopt a child or, you know, just like have good credit scores. It Credit scores will be affected a little bit by how many credit lines that you open. But the biggest way to make sure that your credit stays high is you need to have a credit line that's been open for a long time. So for instance, I have a credit line that's been open for like, 15 years now and I, that's been solid and you know um another yeah so it doesn't it will up and down it will go up and down but really it only your credit score only looks back a year to see how many credit lines you've opened up in the last year and the more that, that they expect that you open up one or two a year but like if you're opening up five a year then your credit score is going to go down but it will bounce right back up um yeah so i would recommend only working on one credit card at a time and do one a year and you'll make a ton of points. Um, make sure that it feels like something that you can manage because it does take up brain space and that's something that's important. But anyways, that's my quick hack, the survival guide to credit card hacks. And I know that I did a lot of talk in there, Bob, but I'm curious if there's any questions that you have or from the listeners' perspectives, any questions that you might that might be coming up for them on any of this. Yeah, I guess the question is, is do you see this as something that is like, do you see it as revolutionary? No, I really don't, especially after the discussion we had going into it. Um, I really don't, but I do think 
Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily bad. Um, I don't think it it's uh, something you should or shouldn't do, but I, I don't think it's a revolutionary reform even, you know? Does that, does that ring true to you? Uh, yeah, I think so. Like, I think it is maybe kind of in the middle. Um, and I wonder if there's any way to make it more revolutionary. Um, while, yeah, I think that the challenge is it's like not necessarily accessible to everyone who might not be able to open credit cards in the first place. And then it retakes a degree, like all it, it takes like not, huge amount of discipline, but it takes discipline to do the things that you said. Um, and yeah, I think the credit card companies are relying on people being like very busy and just not being able to maintain the discipline that you talk about. Yeah. Or manage their stuff, right? Like to, to be able to check in, like you and I both have a personality of being able to check in with stats and numbers and stuff like that, that, sort of goes well with who we are as people. But um, yeah, I do agree that it takes a discipline and I don't know if it's accessible to anyone, everyone. And I know that even having a credit line like takes a lot of work to get it up and running. Right. I know that it took you a little while to get a credit line going, even though you had a lot of money at the time, they wouldn't give you a credit line for a little bit because you'd never had one. But I I think it's definitely scheming. And that is, something that I'm very interested in and like how it could be more revolutionary is something that I'm interested in and thinking about. Well, yeah, I think it gets you it. One thing it does, it did for me is it got me thinking in new ways because it does, it is a little bit of a creativity, um, like output. And once you start to understand the system a little bit, you kind of try and think of like different ways with how they get you, you know, that's how they get you. All right. Um, and here's a great example, right? Like when you take out a mortgage, let's just say you were, you were to take out a mortgage of $300,000, right? And at 3% of $300,000, you're going to end up paying over the course of 30 years, like I, like I said, you know, you're going to end up paying a bank like $180,000 extra, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so you're looking at this like system that's set up where it's like, oh, I have a lot of money. I'll lend you money. But the only way I'm going to do that is to assure myself, give myself a safety net. And here's all the money, but I'm going to like make basically I'm going to make double back what I gave you. Right. So then it allows me as the person with money to give out more money. And it's just incredible how you can accumulate wealth doing that. Right. Like if you have money, you can make gobs and gobs of money. And that's like a, just a relatively easy example of how the banking system is making a ton of money. Right. Um, And yeah, one of the things that I've really like dreamed and schemed about over the years is how can we like take the bank out of mortgage lending and put the community back into it? Like how can we have like these sort of micro lending? Like if one of my ideas is rather like, what if we had like a thousand people that were willing to loan a thousand dollars, you know, right there, that's a, that'd be a hundred thousand dollars, right? 
Um, nope, that math was wrong. That'd be a million dollars. Um, and yeah, I feel like if you had like a group of people that were willing to like come together, then you could like take the banking system out of it and you could do like pretty powerful things and you can take all that extra money that like normally would go to like a big bank. You can take that money and you can put it towards like self-reliance in the community and you can take that money and you can put it like towards the most vulnerable people in the community rather than pushing it towards these big banking systems. Um, and that's like one of my big dreams and schemes that I want to try and accomplish with how to like, and I know that there are micro lending companies, but I really want it to be like grassroots and community based to have these, um, you know, cause I know that like the housing market you come that you're in right now, Bob, like if you even want to talk about buying a house on the coastal California, like you're looking at half a million like starting, right? And like the average price closer to 750,000. And it's like, that is unrealistic for the vast, vast majority of people, but like to make that down payment. But like a lot of people might be able to make, um, you know, make the rent payment or the mortgage payment, but they won't have the money to accumulate that wealth of the down payment. So I feel like if we can solve some of those issues, we can start... I don't know. I feel like that feels like a more of a revolutionary reform than the credit card hack. Does that feel true, Bob? Yeah, it does. Um, but I like that the credit card hack gets us here because you're right. Like, um, money is definitely not everything by any means or, you know, not definitely not even the most important thing, but it is a thing that we have to, that's like really important. We can't dismiss it altogether as, you know, radical people. So I like, this thinking through and what you just said around getting money and yeah, getting the banks, the banks control the world in so many ways. So reducing the power of the banks is really important. Uh, so I think that's a great place to end. And um, yeah, I, I like where we got Dave in this, this meandering conversation. Yeah. I mean, really it just feels good to be in the studio with you, Bob. It feels like too long a time. And um yeah, we were shooting, we're shooting for shorter episodes too, but it's like, sometimes we just get going, you know? Yeah. We're just two freight trains going at it. <laughs> uh, do we want to end with a quick fix, Bob? Yeah, I have one for you. Um, it's actually influenced by our other podcast, but like, uh, so the Olympics are on right now and we have this critique of the Olympics that we develop on the other podcast. I'm not going to get into it, but if people want to watch the Olympics and they don't have a TV or NBC, what's a quick fix of watching the Olympics? Dang. Well, my quick fix is to use my friend's parents' login to Xfinity. There it is. <laughs> That's how I've done it. It's just a quick fix. I'm not going to give out any passwords, but I guarantee you that you have a friend that has a parent that subscribes to an Xfinity and they don't even know that they get free TV through the internet. And all you need to do is set up the email and you're in, you're in. So, um, yeah, think about who you can ask because with the power of community, we, we can fix the streaming problems. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's other ways to do it too. There's like deeper dark web type of stuff. 
But um, yeah, if you really want to look into that, you can go on the Reddit posts and subreddits and try and find out where those free streams are happening too. Love it, Dave. Yeah, that's a great quick fix. Nice. Good. Well, Bob, you want to give the coordinates? Yeah. Haven't given them in a while, so I'll probably be rusty. You can get in touch with us. Our website is thrivingindystopia.com. You can email us at davepeachtree at gmail.com. We're on Instagram, thriving underscore in underscore dystopia. Twitter at bmaze19. And we got a TikTok account, Dave, Dave Peachtree. Get him going. It's crazy to think about all the ways, how attainable we are. Get in touch with us, people. (laughs) (sighs) All right, Bobo. Love you so much. Thanks for the episode, Dave. Love you too. What's up, Driving Crew? Bob and Dave want to take a second to thank you for lending them your ears. They also want to thank the artists for making everything a little more beautiful. The intro song is In Heaven by Drake Stafford. Our audio is edited by the consummate and dexterous Nadir Chayetch. Web design by Chris the Mixer Sawyer. And of course... Visual art is by the prolific and enigmatic Joe Shine. Our new outro song is Box Goldberg Variations, Variato 3 a 1, by Kimiko Ishizaka. Thanks for listening. <laughs>